This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about don't let money ruin your marriage. Now, today with me I have 33-year marriage veteran, <laughs> Byron Palsma, with me. <laughs> Welcome, Byron. Good morning, Mary. But don't uh, confuse experience with excellence because <laughs> they can be two different things. I suppose you're right. Yeah, I suppose you're right. So Byron is one of the financial planners at our office, and I asked him to be on this show today specifically because he has the uh, longest marriage of any of us at our firm. And uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about what some of the challenges are that can pop up in marriage surrounding money. Because the truth of it is that uh, money is one of the things that people can fight about in a marriage. It ranks up there in the top two or three things that can cause some challenges. I would understand that, yes, right. (laughs) So 33 years, huh? Yes, 33 years of financial arguments. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) It probably even introduces a whole different dynamic with you being in the financial services industry and having a little bit more knowledge about things that could really kind of change the conversation a bit too, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And it's also interesting too, Mary, when people come in, uh, some maybe have been married as long, if not longer. It's interesting to see, listen to their experiences and sure. I've been there, you know, yep. kind of a thing. So, yep, yeah. I bet so. All right. So here's the thing. There are just a handful of different places that can kind of be the the main traps that people can fall into inside of a marriage when you're talking about money. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of those issues and then what are solutions that you can do to uh, overcome them so that they don't turn into issues that ruin your marriage. So I think one of the biggest ones that people run into, and certainly it was something that I ran into when I was married, is that people can easily disagree about their lifestyle. You know, you might have somebody who is perfectly content um, buying their clothes at a thrift store married to somebody who would be only happy buying designer clothing labels. So that is definitely an example of a lifestyle difference. So how would you recommend that people handle that issue, Byron? Well, just like with many things uh, with marriage, compromise is is very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, you know, caring about the other spouse and their wishes financially, uh, but also you can't... uh, uh, drive a Cadillac when you're on a Volkswagen budget. There you go. <laughs> so you need to obviously be very careful with living within your means, etc. But communication, compromise, uh, teamwork are all important. Yeah, and I think that that recognizing, like you said, the income level that you have really should be driving your buying decisions, not just what you like or what you wish for. Right. But your income level should really support it. Right. So, um, okay. I think another issue that married couples sometimes run into is that personality differences can come between them. So you hear about a lot of marriages. You have one spouse who's the spender and one spouse who's the saver. And, of course, you're going to have some issues there. Or you have one spouse that is um, a financial nerd and loves dealing with this stuff, and the other one's a free spirit and would never even think to balance their checkbook. That's right. 
So personality differences can play a big role in how people relate to each other about money. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about it, here's the the kind of tips that I would say that we have for you. It's not the issue of that your personalities are different. The real core issue with that is that you're not hearing each other's input when someone has input. The financial nerd in the family might be more inclined to keep all the details to themselves and not share information. And the free spirit might actually have an opinion on something, but it's just once in a while. And then their spouse really doesn't hear that because they're not used to them having an opinion about it. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes the financial nerd side, that can drift into being a know-it-all. Yes. And then can be controlling, and Uh and that's not good. Are you speaking from experience? Well, I might be a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. I think that that probably raised its head when I was married, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So you do have to remember that you're on the same team. And so working on your financial things together is a great piece of this. Now, the other thing I just want to interject here about that particular thing, I have a very firm belief that women should have a hand in the marital finances. They need to know where money is. They need to understand the financial situation in the family. And still, even in today's day and age, many women don't. And so if you're one of the free spirits, if you're one of the people that really has never paid too much attention to money, I encourage you to have that conversation with your spouse Go to the financial advisor with your spouse and get your hands wrapped around an understanding of what you have, just so that you're prepared. I think that's incredibly important for women. Absolutely. Okay. Here's another big hurdle that people frequently run into that can cause an issue in marriage. They let their salary differences become a problem. I don't know about your marriage, but in mine, there was definitely disparity between who earned what. Mm-hmm. So how have you dealt with that? Well, it, uh, my wife has, uh, is not a career person. Mm-hmm. So we have real divergence as far as that goes. And, and she probably deals with it best saying, well, I'll send you a bill for all I do around the house. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I'd re- and I respect her for that. But kind of like, though, the financial nerd, the know-it-all kind of becomes – thinks they have more power. It's similar yeah. with mm-hmm. uh, wage earners, too, where they think they may have more power. Since they make more money, they should have more say in things. Not probably a good uh, direction to go. I would agree with that. I think you can run into a lot of issues. It probably causes a lot of different you know, fights and things like that. Right. Now, we get asked a lot of the time, like, how should you handle money inside of a marriage? And there are many ways to do it. The old faithful way is that it all goes into one pot of money and it's all just ours. It's not yours and mine. Everything's just ours. Um, one of the uh, structures that really did work well for me, though, was that we both contributed a certain amount of money to a common pool. And that's what paid the bills in our household. And then the rest of our money was our own money. So we had a joint checking account that bills got paid out of. And then my husband had his pool of money in his checking account. I had my own checking account in my pool of money. And we had to talk to each other about the money in the joint account if something was going to get spent that was out of the norm 
but we didn't need to have that conversation out of our money because it was our money. Right. And I think that we successfully avoided some fights because we had that autonomy. We had that ability to spend on our own without having to discuss it. And as long as it came out of that pool, it really wasn't an issue. Right. Right. Well, one of the things uh, you you mentioned about talking about purchases maybe Mm -hmm. or, or spending and I know a couple that when they got married, they they made a decision, and it was probably a good decision, that when either of them spent $40 or more, they would tell the other one about it. And I don't think it was something to necessarily get permission. Maybe it was sometimes. I don't know. But that communication between each sure. other is very valuable. And even if their agreement was, it's after the fact, just tell me about it, that keeps the lines of communication open so right. you're not caught off guard if... You notice something or see a receipt or see something show up in your household. That's right. So I can say that, you know, from a standpoint of managing that money, um, there's kind of an interesting way that women spend a little bit differently than men. So men tend to make bigger dollar purchases less frequently. Women tend to make lower dollar purchases, but much more frequently. So, like, I might make, you know, multiple purchases a week out of my pool of money, and my husband at the time might only spend out of his account, like, once a month, but it would probably be the equivalent of what I spent the whole month. It was just something big. Well, maybe it's natural, though, that uh, for whatever reason, ladies seem to like to shop more than men. (laughs) Men don't like going into stores Mm -hmm. and looking around or whatever. We want to go to this aisle what it is, uh, find what it is, I should say, you're looking for, and go ahead and get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I know that there's definitely different, you know, things when it comes to my money, our money, your money, um, when it comes to marriage. And it also makes a difference whether it's your first and original marriage or if it's a second or third marriage. And I also think a big um, difference comes in when you have kids together or when you have a blended family. So there's multiple minefields that are connected with marriage and kids and money. And we're going to talk about that when we come back from our break. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about how to not let money ruin your marriage. We've talked about the fact that lifestyle and personality differences can become issues. Salary differentials can cause problems. And I alluded to the fact that we're going to talk about kids because people fight about money. People fight about kids. People definitely fight about kids and money spent on them. (laughs) And those kids, gosh darn it, we spend a lot of money on them. You can say that again, Mary. We have five children. and uh, There you go. Yes, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> so here's the thing is that sometimes parents are guilty of letting kids run the show, right? You, you might have kids who have stronger personalities who push or beg for things, and it's hard to say no all the time, and you have, might have one spouse that gives in a little bit more, um, and then that can cause some problems. You might have... Um, A blended family where the lifestyle that kids are used to coming from one side is different than the lifestyle kids are used to coming from the other side. Or, you know, you just might have five kids. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's a lot of expense, period. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But I, I think it's important to uh, not let the tail wag the dog, as mm-hmm. they say. Uh, you're still the adults. You still have to make those decisions. And sometimes it is hard to say no. Yes. It is hard to say no, but you just really need to do that. I've heard it said that it's sometimes more difficult to raise kids with money than without money because you have to choose to say no instead of just being forced to say no. And it, when you have to choose to do that, it might be a little bit harder to do. Right. So, okay. So when it comes to kids, one of the things that makes the most sense is to decide to gather how much you're going to spend on certain things that your kids need or what your plan there is. So share with us a little bit about how that's gone in your household with five children. Well, there's always a differentiation between what they need and what they want. Mm-hmm. And you have to be really careful with that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to pivot them all to be, I must have this. <laughs> I know I know one family, Mary, that, uh, yeah, all the kids had braces, but they didn't have cell phones, ah. you know, and that is probably a good differentiation between those needs versus wants. And, and, and you know what your kids need. Mm-hmm. They're growing out of their clothes. Their shoes are wearing out. Those things like that are, are pretty obvious. Unfortunately, on the want side, a lot of times that's, uh, you know, driven by their peers, mm-hmm. you know, and you get into this game well, or they think that because Johnny, their best friend, got a new bike, I should get one too. Right. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Yeah. And then just remembering that, you know, our hearts always want to let our kids have the best and the most. Sure. And especially if you have one spouse who's a little bit more tender hearted than the other one, you have the, that ends up being the good guy and the bad guy when it comes to parenting and money. So the more that you can have conversations, but even more specifically, the more that you can make decisions ahead of time about what you're going to do, that is the best way to ward off some of these challenges. Right. Being proactive is compared to being reactive is is a key. Yeah. Right. Then also I think it's maybe not just to say no to the children, maybe a little bit more of a an explanation. Why not? Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't need these shoes because of this or something like that. You know, there's there's ways to do that too and, and with that communication, even with your kids about money is important. I think there's also a good lesson here that can be learned or taught to the kids about money because if you are saying no to them and you're on the same page with your spouse about that, you also might be able to show them a path where they can earn it. And the biggest gift you can give your children, I think, is teaching them work ethic so that they understand the correlation between if I put this effort forth, I can now earn this thing that I want. Right. When I was a kid, um, my mom and dad said, you know, you, we're going to buy you two pairs of jeans for school and we're going to spend $12 on them each. <laughs> I'm probably dating myself. But those of you who are listening, <laughs> remember when you can buy a good pair of jeans for 12 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, I wanted the jeans with the fancy pockets and things like that, and they were $25. They said, you can have those jeans if you want to, but you have to go earn the money for the difference. We're going to give you $12 for a pair of jeans because that's what you can get jeans for. So I babysat. I babysat and saved the money that I needed because I wanted the jeans that I wanted. Right. And that did teach me a good work ethic. It did teach me a good lesson about money. 
Right. And I, I think that's right. When the when the kids have some skin in the game mm-hmm. in terms of a purchase, I think that's important. Uh, we've done that with our kids too. Same thing. If you want this level of whatever item it is, maybe sporting goods thing or something. All right, that's fine. We'll pay half of it. You pay the other half. Mm-hmm. And here's a shovel. Go, you know, go shovel yep. some sidewalks or something <laughs> like that or mow lawns or whatever. And uh, so, yeah, and, and I think that's very important that they develop that work ethic and a little bit more of an understanding of how money works and have, you know, how valuable it can be if you use it right. You know, my grandson is seven years old right now, and um, his neighbors have put a flock of chickens and a little chicken coop in their backyard. And they asked him if he would like to have a summer job to come over and feed the chickens and play with them every day. And um, they want him to feed him, obviously, for, you know, purposes, but they want him to play with them every day so that the chickens get used to humans being around which I don't know if that's real or they're just being nice to my grandson because I don't know anything about chickens. <laughs> but nevertheless, they're paying him a dollar a week to come over and do this. And he now has $8 that he has saved from feeding and playing with these chickens, which he is saving it up and he knows that when he gets to a certain number, he can go buy this toy that he wants. And I absolutely love, love, love this that this is happening. I'm so grateful for the neighbors for right. doing this. Right. And what a great experience for him, but what a great lesson he's learning about money. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the areas that parents are most often not on the same page about when it comes to kids and money is what to do when it comes to providing for college. And so here's the thing, is that most parents look at their own experience to draw from as to what they want to do for their kids. Right. So when I ask people uh, when we're doing their planning, you know, well, what is your goal for providing for college? Almost all of the time, the answer is, well, this is what my parents did for me. So I think that's what I want to do for my children. Now, it can range from nobody did anything for me. I had to work my way through, and by golly, my kids are going to do the same, to, oh, my parents provided the whole thing, and it was so nice I didn't have to leave college with any debt, and I'm really grateful for that. Now, probably you and your spouse didn't have the same college funding experience, and so there's a divergence between the two of you on what your goal is to provide for college. Right. That's a, that's a very important conversation to have. You, you need to have a game plan with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard it both ways, too, that uh, they're going to have to pay for it just like I had to pay for it kind of thing. Unfortunately, the inflation rate on college right. costs <laughs> is much higher than our normal inflation rate. So it, it's, a different, uh, it's, it's a different era. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you need to recognize that as a parent, that uh, the costs are just going to be much more higher. Right. Much higher for the kids in this time. So here's the thing is that, you know, we've already established that teaching a child work ethic is a good thing. One of the best strategies that we've ever heard for school is to carry that thought into how you handle college. So saving money for college ahead of time is great. Having a budget to help them through college is great. But making sure that they earn what you're providing is really the key here. So um, one of the best strategies is to do something along these lines. 
You might go ahead and have your student take out student loans in their name. And then if they get an A in a class, then you as the parent would pay off an amount of the student loan equivalent to the cost of that class. If they get a B, you would pay off half of it. And if they get a C or below, if your kid wants to be average and they're good with that, then that loan is theirs to have. (laughs) (laughs) So it incents the right behavior. Get up, go to class, don't drink beer all night, and do your schoolwork. Similar to the to the young kids and, and yes. you know, working for their money. It's it's the same sort of theory and yeah. Yeah, because right it's, now in college your job is college, right? Your job right. is learning. So if you do your job and do your job well and you get A's and B's, you're gonna be compensated for it by your mom and dad paying the loans off. Right. Mm-hmm. So that can extend the good money lesson to kids that way. I think one of the last things that I want to comment on about this is it's all about, in marriage, finding common ground when it comes to money, figuring out and understanding, listening to your spouse about what their thoughts are. And the reality is that our thoughts about money, our relationship to money, how we spend money, how we spend money on our families, has an awful lot to do with the early lessons we learned about money growing up ourselves. So one of the most powerful questions that you can ask your spouse to create that common ground is, what was money like for you when you were growing up? If your spouse grew up very poor, they are going to have a very, very different relationship with money than if they grew up very wealthy. Right. And it's going to come out in how they spend or save And it's going to come out in your arguments. (laughs) (laughs) And it's going to come out in how you relate to your kids about money. Absolutely. And that's the same question you ask all our prospective clients is Mm -hmm. what was money like growing up? Because that's so key uh, in regard to how we think I'll leave you with this. The statistic that we saw from a Ramsey survey is that 94% of great marriages have people who are talking about their money dreams with each other. So if you don't want to let money ruin your marriage, if you want to be in that 94% of great marriages, we hope these tips and tactics will help you overcome challenges. And thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.